speak to us through his word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're gathered here today to make a joyful noise of worship to you. You alone are our God and maker and spiritual shepherd. You lead us to the spiritual nourishment and water that we need in Christ. Motivate us today to give thanks to you for all the vast gifts and blessings and grace you've given to us. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for your enduring, never-ending love for us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us despite our unfaithfulness towards you. And Holy Spirit, help me to speak your words today for your glory alone. In Christ's name, amen. today's scripture. Daryl. Today's, pa- today's passage is Psalm 100. It says, A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Thank you for reading that for us, Daryl. Our current summer sermon series is Summer in the Psalms, and we're trucking through a number of psalms Over the course of the summer, today's sermon title from Psalm 100 is this, God's Enduring Love for Us. God's Enduring Love for Us. And what I want to submit to you are three things in our world that are very much of the enduring kind of quality or it has enduring quality within it. These are long-lasting things. And the first long-lasting enduring thing I want to show to you is a light bulb. That's right, a light bulb. That's what I said. And as boring as you think or may think a light bulb is, This one's actually a little exciting, and it's interesting. Uh, This is no ordinary light bulb that you see on the screen. Here's why. This light bulb is known as the Centennial Light Bulb, the Centennial Light. It's the world's longest lasting light bulb ever. It's, get this, it's been on, so no one's turned this thing off for a long time, and this bulb has been on since 1901. 1901, okay? It's been on for 117 years, okay? And it's located in a fire department in a place called Livermore, California. And interestingly, the Centennial light bulb is cited as evidence that current light bulb makers are giving us the shaft because light bulbs tend to to burn out after a short period of time. I mean, they don't make them like they used to. And maybe it's the filament. If you look at the filament, it's like super thick and maybe that's the issue, you know? But anyhow. It's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy issue. It's all about making more money, those jerks. Anyhow, another second enduring, long-lasting kind of thing in our world is honey. Did you know honey lasts a long time? Uh, Despite the fact that many view honey as being bee vomit, uh, which it is, uh, if it's properly... (laughs) If honey... (laughs) 
You view, putting it on your toast just takes a new quality when you see it as bee vomit. Anyhow, if honey is properly stored in the right way, honey can withstand spoiling for hundreds, and in some cases, thousands of years. Did you know that? Okay. In fact, some jars of honey have been discovered in the Egyptian tombs, in the pyramids. Okay. But as the article, I got this from an article on the internet, and the article said this, don't eat ancient Egyptian honey because it might turn you into a mummy. Bad joke. <laughs> very bad joke. And one last, very long-lasting, enduring thing I want to share with you is what is known as the Methuselah tree. The Methuselah tree. You might know Methuselah, Bible character in the Old Testament. He is the longest living human being outside of Jesus ever. He lived to, anyone know how long Methuselah lived to? 969, that's right. That's a long time, okay? And your marriage, if you're married during that long, that's a long, less a long time to be married too. But anyhow, another, another sermon for another day. But uh, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, but Methuselah, the Methuselah tree, it's more than 969 years old. It's over 4,800 years old. And this is actually a, a, a kind of pine tree located in California in the middle of nowhere. So it's been, this tree has been around since before the Roman Empire, okay? So enduring long-lasting things like the centennial bulb and honey and the Methuselah tree, amazing, truly astounding. The passage of time, the passage of time seems to have no effect on them. Passage of time has no effect on these things. And in a much greater way, the passage of time has no effect on God's enduring, long-lasting love for you. His love for you is infinite. His love for you has no time frame, has no expiry date, okay? Despite your failures, despite my failures, despite your unfaithfulness, despite my unfaithfulness towards God, despite your weakness, despite my weakness, nothing ever stands in the way of God's enduring love for you. Isn't that a great promise? Isn't that a great hope? Uh, we see this also, Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, one of my favorite passages, it says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, pretty comprehensive, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. An amazing promise for Mercy Hill, for you, for me, for Mercy Hill Church, okay? And Psalm 100, it's all about you and I demonstrating and responding to God's enduring love in four ways. And very often, you know what, what I find myself, when I come to God's word, I want to receive, receive, take, take, take. You know, even when it comes to worship, I want to take, take, take from God. And today, it's not so much us taking from God as it, us, as it is today, we're giving back to God. Uh, we're responding to God's enduring love. And the irony is when we give back to God with these four responses, we actually receive more for, from God as well. So anyhow, there's more joy, more spiritual strength, more encouragement. So with that, let me give you a quick overview of Psalm 100 that Daryl read for us. All right, and this is the big picture when it comes to this psalm. This is the final installment of what are known as the kingly psalms. And the kingly psalms are known to be Psalm 95 to 100, and they're all about the kingship and the, the great authority, the reign and rule of God over all creation. As it turns out, does anyone remember this being a hymn that was sung in church back in the day, Psalm 100? Anybody? Okay, so this is going back 
a little ways. Not only were God's people singing Psalm 100 in ancient Hebrew times, that's what the Psalms were. This is like, the book of Psalms is an ancient hymn book for God's people. But there's also a more modern hymn. This is probably a couple of hundred years back. And there's also an artist by the name of Chris Tomlin. Anyone know Chris Tomlin? Modern day worship writer of worship songs. In fact, I think we sing every single Chris Tomlin song known. Um, and he has written a Psalm 100 song for today's church as well. Very quickly, though, with this overview, this song is all about inviting the people of earth, all the nations, to sing worship towards God. And, and that reminds us that God's vision for humanity is not just relegated to the, the people of Israel or the nation of Israel or the Hebrew people. It's for everybody, okay, to all the nations of the world. One last little tidbit for the overview. This psalm was originally written in the ancient Hebrew language. And the Hebrew word for give thanks in verse 4, if you have Psalm 100 in front of you, is the word todah. All right, todah. And that's the same term in the Old Testament uh, as, for what is known as the thanksgiving offering. There was a thanksgiving offering that God's people were to give to God periodically. And the way that the Thanksgiving offering was celebrated amongst the ancient Jewish Hebrew, anybody know how they celebrated that offering? Any guesses? They would have a Thanksgiving meal together in the presence of the Lord. All right, so God was honored by them eating. What a great way to honor God, by eating in his presence. I love, and so I thought about... If that's what this psalm was all about, we should have some food together and pass out some food, but I'm not that organized and I'm lazy, so it's a bad combination. <laughs> There's the overview. All right, the focus of this psalm, it's not verse 1, it's not verse 2, it's not verse 3, it's not verse 4, it's actually verse 5, the final verse, and it says, The Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations Again, what a beautiful verse. And so in your notes, there's a sermon outline in your bulletin. You can fill in the blanks, which is very exciting. Number one is simply this. God's enduring love for us causes us to. God's enduring love for us causes us to. And now we're going to look at four ways. All right, we see this in verse one through four. Four ways we can and should as followers of Jesus. He's our king. We obey him because we love him. And... This is, these are four responses to God's enduring love. First little way is little a in your notes. Simply make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's that simple. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Imagine yourself making a joyful noise to the Lord. We get that from verse 1. It's all about making a joyful noise. And a joyful noise can also be translated a joyful shout. A joyful shout to the Lord. Imagine yourself joyfully shouting. When was the last time you've done this, by the way? I don't, don't raise your hand. But what this means is, in ancient times with God's people, as part of their worship to the Lord, they would actually joyfully shout to God. Isn't that cool? And in some charismatic churches in more recent times, they actually do this, okay? Have you been to that charismatic service where they're actually shouting to the Lord? And it freaks you out a little bit because you're not used to that sort of thing. We tend to be more, you know, subtle in our worship. And I'm not suggesting you should start doing this at uh, Mercy Hill Church. But that idea of just, you're just overflowing with so much appreciation for God and His love for you. And this reminds me of what's happening in the World Cup uh, tournament. I think it's going on right now. Is the match over yet? Yeah. It's over? France? France. 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 France
There you go. If you're going to watch that later and you didn't want to know the score, I'm sorry. But anyhow, the World Cup tournament is interesting. It is actually the largest sports tournament in the world. And what happens is basically the people of Earth get behind their respective national team. Or if you're from Canada, you root for basically whatever might be your, your root ethnic nation. All right, whether it's Germany or the Philippines. or Is the Philippines in the tournament? I don't think they were either. See, I, I haven't watched any of the World Cup tournament. It's freaking me out. It's weird, but I just haven't got into it this, this time around. And when, when a player scores an actual goal, and goals are few and far between in soccer or football. It actually should be football, not soccer. Goals are in short supply except for today's final match. And when a, a player scores a goal, it's a big deal because they are in such short... It's very difficult to score a goal in football. And here's what they do. They, they, when they score a goal, they are just so excited, so, so joyful. Uh, not just because they themselves have scored a goal and it makes them maybe feel good, but they've scored a goal for their nation, for France, as it were. Okay, And let me show a few of these pictures of them shouting with joy and exuberance uh, when they score a goal. The first one is this. I mean, look at the air. If, if you're jumping that high, you are filled with joy and you're shouting about it as well. All right, that's pretty cool. The next picture here shows a player who appears to be tackling a fellow teammate. So if you're filled with joy and you're shouting, you might tackle your fellow teammate. And the last one is my favorite. I call it the angry but happy butterfly goal celebration, okay? <laughs> and he's so filled with joy, he wants to fly like a butterfly. I have no idea, or a bird, I don't know what's going on. And my point is, this is, it's become a meme on the internet, but anyhow, my point is in showing you these pictures, these World Cup photos, is to say they are so caught up in joy. Why? They've done something amazing for their team, for their country, and they erupt in this joyful shouting and joyful Noise. They just can't help themselves. And for us as a church family and followers of Jesus, I think we should also erupt in greater amounts of joyful praise and joyful shouting and, and, and joyful singing towards God, not because of anything we've done. We haven't accomplished anything towards God. Jesus has done all the accomplishing for us, which makes our, our joyful expression even, even greater and more meaningful Jesus accomplished and earned salvation and forgiveness for us in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. He did that for us. Thanks be to God. Sometimes I think Mercy Hill Church, needs, we need to work on better expression of our worship towards Jesus, a better expressing of our joy to God for his enduring, long-lasting love for us. Let's not get over the top and crazy, okay? <laughs> Let's not get over the top. There, there, there may be a reasonable limit here. But uh, I think we need to, to do this. You know, just allow yourself to be a little more, at least a little more expressive in your Sunday worship and raise a hand. You know, that's a good thing. These are actually biblical things to do for God. And sometimes you may not feel it, but sometimes, sometimes you just do it out of obedience and then the joy follows the obedience. Okay, I'm talking about that. All right, there you go. Sweet. Good. Was that your thing? When you... You harped on a few things, but was that one of them? Oh, I see. I got you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Good stuff. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. A cheerful spirit is in keeping with his nature 
His acts and the gratitude which we should cherish for His mercies. And so we've got to just get rid of the idea that God is this constantly stern and angry entity, angry person, that He's somewhat distant and He's like a cold, mean dad. Anyone have those? Don't raise your hand. It gets awkward. But you've got this cold, mean dad, and we have that sort of approach with God. He's never happy with us. He's never satisfied with us. He's kind of resentful towards us. And so we kind of resent him, and so we kind of keep our worship like this. Not a good thing. Here's the reality. Jesus, when we trust in him, he has allowed us to gain access to God, to be brought into his family as his adopted son, as his, as his, his adopted beloved daughter. We are now sharing the inheritance of Christ given towards Christ. We get to share in that. God the Father has given that to us as his adopted kids. And so because God is a happy God and he is the source of all happiness and joy, let's worship him with happiness and joy and, and a little more at least expressively, all right? Like our team has won the World Cup, all right? Can you imagine that? Mercy Hill has won the ultimate World Cup. I don't know if I can say that or not, but you know where I'm going. The sec that's the first response, to joyfully sing worship and shout to God because of his enduring love. The second response is this, to serve him with gladness, to serve him with gladness. We get that from verse 2. It says, serve the Lord with, there it is again, okay? In other words, as you are aware, as you remind yourself of all that the Lord has done for you and for me and is doing for you, you realize what a privilege it is. He's allowed me to share in this idea of serving him and serving other people how can I not serve Jesus with everything I have and with gladness? How can I not serve him with gladness? But here's the problem. Sometimes we serve God with a less than glad or joyful heart. And sometimes there's more of a grumbling sort of attitude. We kind of look like this. This is the best grumbling picture I could find on the internet. But sometimes that sort of is symbolic of what our heart's attitude is like when we come to serving Jesus. And we may say, you know, I really don't want to do this for Christ. I don't really want to serve in the kids' ministry today. I don't want to teach in the kids' ministry because they're extra angry today and annoying. I really don't want to do setup or takedown because my back is out of whack and it's just hard work. And I don't want to do sound or multimedia. I don't want to sing on the worship team. I don't want to greet at the door. I don't want to do refreshments. I don't want to serve my family in my home and, and care for them and spend time with them. I don't want to share my faith in my workplace. I don't want to serve my, my co-workers selflessly. I just don't want to do that. I don't have the motivation. Yes, I will serve. But if you want me to serve with gladness, I'm just not feeling it right now. Sorry. Do we not all struggle with this from, from at least time to time? Motivation. I know I do. And what do we do if the gladness about God's enduring love is not there, it's absent, we're not feeling it? Here's an example. Let me run with this. This may or may not be a good illustration, but I'm going to try. At home. Uh, imagine myself being at home with my family. I'm, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. And my role in my family is to serve by leading and lead by serving. Lay down my life for my family as Christ laid down his life for his bride, the church. And the idea is my job is, is to serve and to care for Tammy and Isaiah and Victoria. Most days I actually enjoy serving my family, believe it or not. Um, you know, they're, they're such wonderful people. And I actually find myself enjoying cleaning up after a meal most of the time. I enjoy fixing broken things. I enjoy replacing the batteries and playing sports with the kids and coloring from time to time with Victoria and so on. But 
Sometimes when I'm asked to do something and yet another thing breaks in our household and another thing is expensive to replace, you know, the gladness ain't there. It ain't there. There's only complaining and, and grumbling. Usually it remains sort of suppressed and hidden within, but sometimes I'll just say, ah, I'll just sort of react that way. Oh, seriously? You know, it's that kind of thing. And if anytime I sort of hear myself say, ah, or feel really freaked out and there's a lot of negative emotion on the inside when it comes to me serving my family, that's the ding, that's the red flag. That's the heads up, something ain't right. Kurt, you're out of line. This is not the way of Jesus. And in that moment, that's when I need Jesus to rescue me from me. And I have to pray. Jesus, save me from me. Forgive me for my pride and my selfishness towards, towards my family. Forgive me for thinking too highly of myself that I'm somehow above serving others here. Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, enable me, empower me to serve my family with gladness as you have served me on the cross. How could I not serve my family in light of you serving me in this ultimate way? And after praying that way, sometimes instantly the, 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 glad, the glad serving comes, but sometimes the gladness ain't there, okay? And what I've learned is keep on serving anyways, despite how you feel. Pray, obey Jesus, and sometimes, again, the joy and gladness comes right away. Sometimes the spiritual affections do not come right away, but obedience first, no matter how I feel. And so it is. Let's get back to church and ministry life beyond our family. So it is when we serve the Lord in our church and in our family, on our street where we live, in our workplace. We serve gladly. If there's no gladness, we pray. We ask for Jesus' rescue in that moment. We ask him, in light of all that you've done for me and served me on the cross, Lord Jesus, may I do the same for you. Give me the motivation and the power to exhibit that sort of glad serving as well. Does that make sense? Ish? Okay, good. One or two of you. Awesome. Let's move on to uh, the third response to God's enduring love in your notes. Little C is this. Know that he alone is our maker and shepherd. Know that he alone is our maker and shepherd. We get this from verse 3. It's all about know, know that the Lord, he's God. Or he made us. We are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. That insinuates that God is our spiritual shepherd. He's our ultimate shepherd. This is confirmed all over the Bible. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's what he says. And let me ask you this. The psalmist, the writer of Psalm 100, he is he's telling us to know that God made us, that we are his, that we belong to him. Why is he telling us? Don't we understand this already? Don't we get it? If we're reading our Bible, don't we know that, yeah, he made us, he formed us, we belong to him? So why is he telling us this again? This seems such like a basic spiritual truth. The, the reason that he's telling us this is that it's possible for you and it's possible for me to live our lives in such a way as to forget that God has made us, to forget that everything we, we have finds its ultimate source in God, to forget that we actually belong to our maker and our spiritual shepherd. So here's the issue. Something called spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia, meaning we forget that God is our source. We forget that he has given us everything, everything that we have. So therefore, what that means is, if I, live, if I have spiritual amnesia, I am at risk of living as a practical atheist. 
Yes, I believe there is a God, but practically speaking, in my day-to-day actual rubber-hits-the-road life, I'm living as if God does not exist. And that's something that I think a lot of Christians battle and struggle with. Uh, One of my favorite statues is a statue. I've shared this, I think, about a year or more ago at church. Uh, It's the self-made man statue. Remember this statue? All right, he's chipping away at the rock to try to form and shape himself into existence. And I like this statue, not because that's actually true or possible. That's impossible, I should say. It's ridiculous to think that you could actually literally carve yourself out of a piece of rock, but it's symbolic of how a lot of people, Christian or not, uh, view themselves. They say, I am successful in life because of my skill set, because of my intelligence, because of my talents, because of my hard work ethic and my drive. It is all me. I am that statue. And I, and I cringe, honestly, when I hear this sort of sentiment, either overtly, very often it's very subtle. It's completely not true. Completely not true. The Bible's clear. Everything you have, everything you possess is a gift and a privilege from God. God is the ultimate source of all the good things that you have in your life. He's the source of your talents and your abilities and your skill set. He is your ultimate supplier for everything of your, so your home, your food, your clothing, your car, everything comes to you from God. He's the ultimate sovereign director. So imagine your life being like a film. I'm trying to think of a film in the theaters today. Skyscraper by The Rock. Has anyone seen that? I don't think anyone's, it's actually flopping apparently from what I hear. But there's a lot of work that goes into making a film. And as you know, every film that we see on the big screen is directed by the director. And in that sense, God is the director of your life if your life is a film, if we can call it that. And he's the one guiding everything in your life for you to get to the place where you're at today. The first biggest thing that he guides for your existence is deciding where where you're going to be born and who you're going to be born to and what family is going to care for you. I mean, who else can make that ultimate? This is God. So every circumstance in your life is guided by God himself as the grand director of your life. Yes, some people are more talented, hardworking than others, but they do more in life. Yes, they accomplish more. But to suggest that everything I am, everything I have in life is only and primarily because of me is highly problematic. It is spiritually toxic. It is a massive slap in the face to God. God and God alone is your maker. Therefore, you belong to him. He owns you. He is jealous for your love. He is jealous for your attention. And so ask Jesus to remind you every minute of every day, Lord, help me not to forget this truth. You alone are my maker. You alone are my source. You alone are my spiritual shepherd guiding and directing me in every way. So help me to live in such a way that everything I say think and do reflects this beautiful, humble truth. Let's move on to the final point about how we can respond to God's enduring, never-ending love for you. In your notes, simply this, to thank Him. Again, this is all about giving back to God for a change, not just receiving, but irony is when we give back to God, we receive more from God. But anyhow, thank Him and bless His name is our final response to His enduring love for us. Thank Him and bless His name. Get this from verse 4. It says for us to enter God's gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. The psalmist would have had the temple in Jerusalem in mind here, probably, when he 
wrote this, okay? And there were temple gates. Did I have a picture for that? No, I don't think I did. There's actually gates to the temple courts, and then there's the courts in and around where the temple is as well. And he, he's like, he's imagining uh, people coming into the temple area, singing as they come in. And so imagine yourself coming, you're coming in from the parking lot, and you're already singing as you get out of your car, okay? You're singing praise to God. You're entering the gates or the doors of Hazel Grove School, and you come in. I don't recommend this, by the way, because here's why, here's why I think what the, the psalmist probably has in mind. You are to, and I am to come here, where we gather to worship God on a weekly basis with a mindset of worship, a mindset of worship, a readiness to worship and to pray and to receive God's truth as God's word is being taught here and to respond this way because of his enduring love for us. Uh, did you know back in Old Testament times, what God's people were instructed to do was to actually prepare themselves for worship, for later corporate worship. And so they would get themselves ready the day before for that time of worship the day after. And, and the principle and the idea for us today is to make sure we get enough sleep Saturday night, which is a challenge for some, you know. Uh, make sure you're not coming up basically hungover, for example. That can be helpful. But coming with a mindset, actually praying in advance, Lord, prepare me in this moment to be ready to worship you on Sunday mornings, to stay awake for when that boring preacher keeps preaching or trying to preach, okay? getting enough sleep, all these things, there is that aspect to it. But what I want to focus on here as I get back from that rabbit trail is the second half of verse 4. It says to give thanks to Him. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. Give thanks to Him and then bless His name. For me, I have problems or have had problems with the, the word bless. Bless, because there's a lot of baggage to that word for me. It's always been this mysterious, misunderstood word in my world. I grew up in the church, by the way, so I've been doing this church thing for a lot of years, 43 years. And in church, people are always dropping the word bless, okay? And I never knew what it meant as a kid, and so I just avoided using the word bless, okay? Because do you ever hear the word bless on a construction site? All right, I don't think so. You're hearing a bunch of other words on the construction site, or typically in your workplace. Uh, bless you, brother. You're not, you're not hearing. This is church ease, almost like churchy kind of language. And so be, on that basis, I sort of avoided ever using it even within the church. But there is a place for this word bless. The Bible uses it. We're instructed to, to bless the Lord. So we should actually use this word bless and figure out what this word bless means. The ancient original Hebrew word for bless that is used in this psalm is the word Barak, not Barack Obama, but Barak is the proper way of saying it. And Barak means to kneel, to kneel. I won't get on my knees here, embarrass myself, and then you'll be embarrassed by me being embarrassed. So anyhow, but to, to kneel is how you bless God, to kneel before God, by implication to bless God as an act of adoration. So there's this kneeling aspect towards God if you want to bless God. And for you to bless God... It's an act of humble gratitude and humble worship towards him saying, you are bigger than I, you are greater than I, I submit willingly, joyfully to your ultimate authority and I do so with joy and gladness and gratitude. Why? Because of your enduring, never-ending, long-lasting love for me that you've shown to me in Christ and what he's done on the cross for me. 
What I'd like to do today is I want to close today's message. So let's celebrate just that truth right now, like the, we're celebrating a goal in the World Cup. Uh, I'm bringing this in for a landing by sharing, you, uh, sharing with you a true story from the Bible. It's a true story about Jesus, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. And this is all about uh, gratitude and blessing somebody in this true story. And the story is about Jesus. And he is walking along a road uh, between Samaria and Galilee. This is north of Jerusalem. And along the road, there's a village. And he walks into this village. And in this village, Jesus is met by some people. And he's met by ten lepers. Ten lepers. And if you're a leper, you have a serious disease called leprosy. And leprosy, is, is it still an issue? It's still an issue in certain parts of the world. I think well over 100,000 people still battle leprosy uh, to this day. It's a horrible disease. And it's actually a bacterial disease. It's infectious, not extremely infectious, uh, but it is infectious. And leprosy causes you to have uh, disfiguring skin, sores, and nerve damage in your arms and your legs, and nerve damage on, in your skin areas all over the body. And as you can imagine, if you had leprosy in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago, you were actually shunned by your entire community. You were forced to live apart from everyone else, to protect everyone else. And the only people you, could you were allowed to hang out with were who? Other lepers, okay? So those are your homies now. So just imagine, just imagine, not only suffering with this horrible disease, but suffering because, suffering emotionally, psychologically, everyone rejects you, even your own family. They've essentially thrown you down the gutter, and they consider you sort of dead to them. Well, these ten lepers, they approach Jesus. You might say they're desperate for help. They've heard something about Jesus healing people. And they go up to Jesus, and they beg Jesus on the spot, have mercy on us. What a great thing to say to Jesus. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. They're desperate. Jesus responds to them by telling them to do something a little different. He says, you know what? Go show yourselves to the priests. It's not quite the answer they were looking for, but they'll do it. And so on their way to, to go see the priests, as Jesus instructed, what happens to them? They find themselves completely, utterly healed of that horrific Leprosy. They're healed by Jesus on the way. Isn't that cool? You've got to love how Jesus does things. He does things in such a way that we don't expect to, to basically teach us something. And you might assume that every single one of those ten lepers stopped in their tracks and went straight to Jesus to express immediately their gratitude and their worship to him and their desire to bless him, to give something back to him for that. But nope, not every single one just one out of the ten, ten percent, one guy comes back and he praises God with a loud voice as he's healed. He finds Jesus. He then falls on his face at the feet of Jesus. So you see the kneeling aspect of blessing here. He wants to bless Jesus. He wants to honor Jesus. And he says, thank you, Jesus, for healing me. Thank you. By the way, this one returning leper was from a certain race. He was not Hebrew. He was not from God's people. He was a Samaritan. So this makes this guy a double outcast. He's not just outcast because of leprosy, but he's also not part of our people. So we're going to 
cut him out as well because of that. So he's a double outcast, and yet here he is doing the right thing. Jesus asks him, where are the other nine lepers? Well, they're not lepers anymore. They're healed. Where are these nine other guys? Where are they? Is this foreigner the only guy to come back and have the sense to express his gratitude and, and bless me? What's the answer? The answer is yes, just one, just 10%, one out of the 10. Here's my point. It's possible for, for any of us in this room, if we're a Christ follower, to, to receive ultimate spiritual healing. All of us have had leprosy of the soul, sin sick, with no help, no hope at all in and of ourselves. And, and then we come to Jesus, He cleans us up, He heals us from the inside out fully and completely, forgiven of all of our sins in the past, present, and future. And it's possible to receive that great salvation and then forget or neglect on an ongoing sort of basis to thank Jesus and to bless Him as part of our daily discipline and coming here to worship with God's people on Sunday mornings as well. It's possible for spiritual amnesia to kick in and we neglect to thank Jesus and bless Jesus in an ongoing sort of way. We are all at some point, I would say every person in this room has been guilty of being just like those nine forgetful or ungrateful lepers. We've all been there at some point. And so today, here's what we're going to do. As we, all, we do every Sunday, we partake of the Lord's Supper. There it is. There are, there are the symbols. And what we do is we invite any and all Christians to participate in this. And as you take in the symbols of the cross, the, the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, bless the Lord. Bless Him. Thank Him for the cross. Thank Him for His salvation. Thank Him that He earned salvation for you. He didn't have to do that, but He chose that. Thank Him for His great, enduring, never-ending faithful love for you. And we'll just do that as an act of worship together uh, today. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to be like that one leper today. To thank you and to bless you for your cross. We're so grateful we would have nothing without you earning salvation for us. You lived our life. You died our death. You were punished for us. And then you rose again to save us and to transform us. Thank you for all you've done for us, Lord. May we just bless your name today as we partake in that. In Christ's name, amen.